This episode of the Quad Squad Pod is sponsored by The Ballad of Bonaduke by R.T. Slaywood, a dark urban fantasy available exclusively on Kindle Vela. Visit our link tree or the description of this episode of the podcast for more information on how to begin reading today. Now let's start the show. We are finally back after our finally. after Bryce uh, Bryce is down in Oregon, possibly the size of a shallot to a red onion. Who knows? And quite frankly, <laughs> until we see it on a necklace, I don't even think we care. Uh, check the merch store. Still want the uh, guitar so picks. Uh, we had we had Bryce and his gallbladder uh, removal surgery. Uh, Polly and his wife Roxy went on a lovely vacation. Uh, to five state parks, did you say? Or was it three? Three. Three state parks. Three state parks. So there, Paulie's feeling refreshed. Bryce is about uh, a pound and a half lighter. Aaron's still ornery. We're good to go. So I think it's time we go ahead and, <laughs> and get into today's topic. We're super excited. This is by far the most prepared we've been for an episode. Everyone has done their This research. is definitely the first time we've recorded this, by the way. Yeah, we have not tried this yet. First. Uh, fucking attempt this is absolutely mm-hmm. the first try um but today we're gonna be covering uh we're gonna be covering everyone's favorite sci-fi movies everyone compiled a list of five movies there are some rules here now um it's five unique movies for each of us there were several movies that we were going back and forth on that more than one of us wanted but we wanted a list of unique movies so there are five movies from each of us and the other rules that persist are all the movies have to be live action. Uh, much to Bryce's chagrin, there's no Star Wars, there's no Star Trek, there's no Marvel, and there's no DC. So to recap, all live action, no Star Wars, Star Trek, Marvel, or DC. Everyone has unique movies. No two people or more could use the same one. So I'm going to go ahead and start us off. Um, and I think rather than give you my full list, I'm just going to go one movie at a time. That'll make things more suspenseful. And to start us off, my first movie is Jurassic Park. And, Excellent. Uh, That's a good one. Dr- uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, one of the transcendent filmmakers of not only his generation, but I just think in American filmmaking. Um, to start my Absolutely. notes off, the first thing I have listed is it's fucking dinosaurs. And I think it's it's a hard it's a hard point to argue. Um the movie starting with the raptor transport, um, the screeches of the raptor. You don't get to see the, the full raptor. Um, the, the guy getting pulled into uh, the raptor cage. Um, and then at this point in my notes, we get to where it says, seriously, though, it's fucking dinosaurs. So I just wanted to hit that point one more time. Um, Dr. Grant telling the little boy 
about how the raptors hunt and he has the claw and he's like tracing the boy's stomach as he talks about how they'd use the claw to basically open up the stomach of whatever it was they were capturing was so good that kid was a smart babysitter ever Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Yeah. doctor you're not going to find uh dr grant babysitting my kids anytime soon that's where all the good bits are um (laughs) jeff goldblum (laughs) is throwing 100 miles an hour in this entire movie there's not a jeff goldblum what movie does he not throw 100 miles an hour this movie is 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 still different though i don't i think this is probably the most like this movie just oozes jeff goldblum and i kind of mean that in an uncomfortable way but also (laughs) you welcome it because of the way he looks with that shirt only buttoned up uh what three four buttons uh, by the time this movie's done there um not to mention Samuel Jackson as one of the park employees and Wayne Knight, or as most people probably know him, Newman from Seinfeld, also mm-hmm. as the park employees. Newman trying to smuggle um, the the embryos for a lot of these uh, cryogenically engineered um, dinosaurs in the shaving cream cans doesn't end well for Newman. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the movie. But also the argument um, he has no, with the guy where he's having lunch with him, you know? What happened? It's like, look, hey, hey, guys. Look, no, no, nobody cares. Dotson. We got Dotson. <laughs> Dotson's here. Nobody cares. Um, also, <laughs> I, I think to be fair, we're going to spoil all these movies. And most of them are not that new. So deal no. with it. We don't want any you spoiled Jurassic Park for me. That was 30 years ago. Get over it. Yeah, yourself. that movie okay? is like no. almost as old here, as me. Now, spoiler alert for everything. <laughs> we'll put something in the description that says we're going to spoil these movies. So if you haven't seen Jurassic Park by now, one, get out from under the rock you live you live under. And two, deal with it. Um, the one scene that still gives me crippling anxiety is the kids hiding from the raptors in the kitchen. And it's all stainless steel. All the pots and pans are stainless steel. So everything is making noise. The kids are doing their best to be quiet, but they're terrified as small children between the ages of what, maybe eight and 12 or eight and 13 hiding from raptors. And what I put together in one of the last few times I watched the movie is Dr. Grant tells you how they hunt. And then you're watching that take place with all these raptors in the kitchen with those two kids, which was, which was really, it's more suspenseful. It's more suspenseful than most horror films. Like that part right there, as a kid, fucking terrifying. Yeah. It's so bad. What was that? I think that was you. <laughs> I'm just sitting here. <laughs> Somebody's computer was like, this is the Quad Squad pod. <laughs> you guys you guys didn't use the intro theme. Yeah, that's because we put that in post. <laughs> None of us did that. That's amazing. <laughs> I think Aaron just doesn't want to admit that he did it, but he was. No, yeah, he movie. was the one looking down, like doing things. I think. <laughs> uh, and well, his little I'm... box was lit up, and I was the one who was supposed to be fucking talking. Well, I don't know why my phone would have done that because I'm on Google right now. Listen, at least it wasn't the Pornhub theme, and we know if anything you're watching, it's other videos of us, so we appreciate Hold, it. Hold, please. <laughs> <laughs> better not, I better not hear that intro. These, these are the moments that we have this podcast for. Sudden, like, this is the reason. Aaron, also, yeah. I think we also needed to clarify what type of sci-fi movies were eligible. Uh, just Aaron, Aaron has some different additions, potentially. 
no parodies uh, that you may find on well the only, the only porno, porno ones i've seen have been like with mystique or something like that so we wouldn't be able to use it anyways so it's all good oh, oh that's Ch true. okay good no, no. Ch china did a yeah, china Marvel. did one with where she was the she hulk which was really, really not cool. <laughs> We're leaving this in also. Yeah, did so she? You know. here, we, here we are just like talking about porn. Aaron, you, can talk porn about, you can talk about your movies when we get to your turn. But this is my turn. Okay? Jesus hey, 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 and Aaron, you know, none of us have heard of that one. Technically, it doesn't count as Marvel. So go ahead. You know, let it fly. Yeah. He's marveling me with his memory at this moment. <laughs> um, okay, so back to Jurassic Park, and we'll get to Aaron's list later. Um, so I watched uh, the movies that made us on Netflix, and they have a Jurassic Park episode, and they had the idea to try to lean on the animatronic dinosaurs that they had built for the film as much as possible. Now, this mm. wasn't the first movie to use CGI, but it was – the movie that is commonly referred to as the one that really brought it to prevalence in the manner in which they used it. Um, so like the, in, in the first few times they were using the animatronic T-Rex, um, it was supposed to rain in that scene. They were trying to make sure that the dinosaur, uh, that the T-Rex didn't get wet because the outer layer of skin apparently was effectively a giant sponge. So by the time they were done filming the scenes and it had gotten wet and absorbed water, it weighed three or four X what it did at first making it unstable. Um, it wasn't moving in the manner they wanted it to. So they started leaning into the CGI more. And with the first cuts they saw of the CGI T-Rex, they loved it. It got great reviews. Um, everybody had nothing but really great things to say about it. And it turns out that ending scene where the T-Rex is in the visitor center, where it's basically battling the Raptors, it's got the, the banner coming down as it's uh, roaring at the end. They only got that scene out there because the CGI went so well. Had it only been the animatronic T-Rex, that was not how the movie was supposed to end. So that really allowed Spielberg and the team to change the vision of really the entire movie, which I think is really interesting and a pretty incredible what if. Like that scene is so impactful for the course of the movie and really wraps it up where the T-Rex is kind of like the good guy, the hero of the movie. Yeah. It goes from eating the lawyer with his pants down <laughs> in, in the, the hut the straw hut that's the bathroom. Still a good guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, guy. the lawyer was not the good guy. I think that's pretty clear. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, that uh, I just thought I thought that was super interesting and a really cool kind of what if moment, you know. But yeah, well, yeah. Like, would it be the franchise it is if they would have gone all animatronic and like it not turned out as crisp as it did? Like, it's crazy mm -hmm. to think about that. Well, and and Spielberg too. There's there's all of the all of that information out there about his experience with Jaws. The only reason the Jaws shark doesn't show up until the last third of the movie is because of the issues they had with the animatronic shark. It was supposed to be right. more prominently featured. And uh, because it wasn't, it creates that suspense and that, that uh, kind of in that genre that everybody followed. You like the opening scene with the rappers where you don't see them right away. Like mm -hmm. the whole suspense and the mystique of the shark in Jaws is that you never get to see it for the first two thirds of the movie. You might get a fin, you might get it coming out of the water for a second, but you don't get to see the whole shark until much later. So you would think of anything, this was kind of a, I wonder if he's having those deja vu moments with uh, the animatronic T-Rex as it's waterlogged and they can't get it to do what they need it to do. So yeah, just, just super interesting. But I was like, 
I was probably seven the first time I saw that movie. So I already love dinosaurs. I was fascinated by them. They used to have the little zoo books. Um, I don't know if anybody else is familiar with those, but it was like one solid color on the border in zoo books. And they had, um, you know, animals that are alive today. And then they had a dinosaur series. So it was like each month was a different dinosaur. So I always loved dinosaurs. Thought that was so cool. Uh, but then this movie kind of bringing it all to life. Um, unbelievable. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. And still the scene of like them first getting to the park and driving up and then seeing the dinosaurs just roaming the field. It was just like, oh, my God, they made well, it happen. Like, yeah. There's fucking dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. So we have good. a T Rex. Uh, uh, the the yeah, first and, one was where they had the uh, where yeah, they the had the, uh, the one guy that worked with the park that eventually got like cornered by the Raptors. Right? That was that was at the end of Jurassic Park one, right? You know where he's like clever fella or whatever. You know, like uh, he turns his head and then the one was distracted. Yeah, yeah. the yeah, guy yeah. the guy who was with Doctor Sattler through like the the middle part of the movie. Yeah, and he like that's the guy who yells shoot yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that, that that scene fucking blew me away because from what you're talking about, how they kind of didn't show them and they showed a little bit of them. They showed how they're more like predatory and everything. And then it showed exactly how they work. And he was like, clever girl. Mm -hmm. And then just, bam. Yeah. Then that face just shows up and is in the, the coming from the side that, yeah. I just remembered the scene where she's like, what are they doing with the goat? Like, why is the goat in there? (laughs) (laughs) It's lunch. That's what it is. (laughs) That's And the thing is like, that, that turned out it was the appetizer. Unfortunately for the lawyer, um, I, I have a feeling that's that. not uh, Andrew. I hope that's not something I'd say if I came to visit you at your house. What is he doing with the goat? <laughs> it's funny that you would say that to me in a in a uh, in a more more developed city, whereas you live in the middle of Wyoming, and I'm not saying you keep warm. With a goat at night, but I'm also not <laughs> really not. I'm, saying I'm, I'm not sure if you do or don't. You know, it's up in the air. <laughs> it seems probable. That's why Aaron always gets oddly aroused. Anyone, someone, anytime someone has the goat conversation about Tom Brady. Okay, okay, okay. You, Andy. yeah, there we go, there we go. Okay, so so far, so, so far, we've got we've got goats and uh, Mystique from Pornhub. Okay, cool. So yes. don't don't forget and China China She Hulk. <laughs> Listen, when Aaron talks about his movies, he can talk about whatever he wants. But this this is not the time to talk about Aaron's. Uh, this is Andrew's time, okay? Aaron's Mount Rushmore of his movies. Uh, oh my God, coming... Andrew's time is going to be like the entire hour. Well, yeah, because you won't stop talking about your porn preferences. <laughs> okay, I'm going to move on to my next movie then, so Aaron doesn't jump in next. Um, uh, Aaron's going to be disappointed it's not a movie where someone shows up delivering a large sausage pizza uh, but it's Independence Day uh, directed by Roland Emmerich Um, in my notes the first thing I typed here was the Welcome to Earth quote uh, by Will Smith this movie blew my mind Um, Bill Pullman's speech gives me chills every time I hear it even still Um, and I truly believe that this country would be in a much better place with President Thomas J. Whitmore at the helm and that's bill pullman from this movie um the visual effects were stunning at the time this was only a couple years after jurassic park but you could tell the cgi had already kind of grown leaps and bounds in those few years from jurassic park to independence day the cast was loaded you go from will smith i realized i went back to back jeff goldblum features um in my list there that was not intentional and everyone unfortunately will not be 
a Jeff Goldblum film. Did you did you say but everyone Coleman, uh, unfortunately will not be? Yeah, it's probably going to disappoint <laughs> the Jeff Goldblum heads uh, who watch, watch the podcast. So, um, you just tuned out. Like they just gone. tuned out. <laughs> They're dead now. Um, we have. Uh, sorry, my Siri. Just taking my watch off. Siri is a nosy. Nosy woman. Um, Bill Pullman, Randy Quaid, Judd Hirsch, Robert Loggia, Vivica A. Fox, Harvey Firestein, and Harry Connick Jr., just to name a few. I'm leaving several off there, but there were so many people who played small to medium to large parts in this movie, and everybody. I feel like everybody was phenomenal. Um, watching the White House get blown up as an eight-year-old was about mm-hmm. as crazy as it got, and like just to even try to wrap my head around that and not really understanding special effects or CGI at all, because that was like 1996. You have no idea. You're mm-hmm. like, did they really blow up the White House for this? <laughs> um, spoiler alert, they did not blow up the White House for this. It still stands. Um, that Bill Pullman speech still um, would have gotten me to take a fighter jet up. I, I would have flown one right into the heart of that giant ship if I could. Uh, I have right here the specific part where he says, and should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but the day the world declared in one voice... We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. And like, I'm even getting chills reading it. And I did it a complete injustice because I am no Bill Pullman. But it also meets an important requirement of mine for a good movie when they say the name of the movie in the movie. Mm-hmm. And they did that. There. So that's obviously <laughs> something that's important. But just that is a weird requirement for a movie. You're like Peter Griffin. He's like, oh, they said a thing. They said a thing. <laughs> face off. They say face off in face off. I want to take his Another face. Another classic. Oh. Also, in face off, the doctor performing that surgery is actively smoking a cigarette while John Travolta's face is just in a bowl of ice water <laughs> right next to where he's smoking. Not very, not very, uh, really, I think medically sanitary (laughs) but yeah so i mean that that was everything i have i don't know if you guys remember the first time you saw that or what your thoughts were when you did but just well that was like the very first i mean like okay so jurassic park kind of started with cgi but independence day was like that's when they started taking cgi to the max when it was most of the movie you know what i mean um yeah it was uh, back when Randy Quaid wasn't, is it Randy yeah, Quaid? It's it's yeah. definitely Randy. Completely off his rocker. <laughs> it's it's Randy. D- Hello, boys. Just I'm like back. not super crazy, but actually played who he is now today. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the star-studded cast. That was like one of the first movies that had a very star-studded cast. It was there was nothing. The fact that they tried to put a sequel to it sucks because the sequel sucked i didn't mind it i, I, I didn't mind canon- it yeah, and canonically it, it doesn't exist we do not it's its own thing it is not i just like i just I like bill pullman being like an talk. insane ex-president i thought that was hysterical so. <laughs> i mean again but yeah i mean I would, independence day for sure was like the epitome of a blockbuster like mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. 
it's insane like how how big that movie was when it came out and still holds up like graphically like still looks incredible well yeah, to be it's fair it, the block it, the block at 1600 pennsylvania avenue did get busted when they blew up the white house so that quite literally <laughs> jesus christ um <laughs> but yeah it was I forget what I said because of Andrew's stupid fucking. No, plan. that's just that's just your short term memory with your age. It's so bad that I think you forgot. You, you tried so uh, hard, Aaron. Gonna, you tried your. I'm it's all Aaron's fault. And then you, I'm just go on, on to your next one. Yeah, and then when you come back to your next favorite Pornhub movie, I'm sure you'll interrupt with it anyways. Um, th- third on my just list. Just third on my it. list, and there's this. This could be a movie Aaron might find on on that one website we just mentioned. It's called Snowpiercer. <laughs> Double on time. I, I have actually never, never watched this movie. I You need to. I haven't either. It's phenomenal. You both need to. So um, directed by Bong Joon-ho, who more people probably know him for Parasite, which he won Best Director for and it won Best Picture as well. Parasite is an unbelievable <laughs> film as well. That's a, a movie for another episode of the podcast, though. Um, I just went to the IMDb summary because I, I was like, how do I put this into one sentence? And I, I couldn't do <laughs> Impossible. it. Impossible. So IMDb summarizes this by saying, in a, in a future where a failed climate change experiment has killed all life except for the survivors who boarded the Snowpiercer, which is a train that constantly is traveling the globe, uh, a new class system emerges. So speaking of movies that have really strong casts, you have Chris Evans, Tilda Swinton, John Hurt, Octavia Spencer, Allison Pill, uh, soon... I think it's Soon Kang Ho, and I may be mispronouncing that, so I'm sorry if I am, and many others. So each part of the train is for each respective section of the class system. So the farther back you get on the train is, in theory, the lower class of people or the lowest class in the tail. That's where Chris Evans and many of these people are. So Chris Evans plays Curtis, um, and you get to watch Curtis and many others attempt a revolution within the Snowpiercer. So as they, they're quite literally working their way up from the tail one car at a time. They basically need to figure out how they're going to do that. And they need help from other people who are in other cars who they have their ways of communicating with secretly by passing things around one way or another. Um, And real quick, Andrew, what you're talking about, the class system, I I don't think most people understand. Like in the back, it's like, you sleep in bunkers and there's, it's almost like prison. And then in the next one, it's a little better. The next one, they're serving sushi. Then there's a classroom and then there's like a dance club and mm-hmm. it just gets higher and higher up in like the, you know, the hierarchy of like uh, how society would work, but in a much smaller version. Yeah. It's like the have and have not. It's like the Titanic. Literally in... Yeah. The Titanic. Just... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then from there, so I put, if we fast forward it and we come to find out um, Wilford, who I believe is actually Ed Harris, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, Another monster of the Wilford invite, invites a great villain in any role where he plays a villain. Um, <clears throat> excuse me there. Um, Ed Harris's character, Wilford, invites Curtis inside once they get there up towards the front that Wilford actually planned the entire revolution himself. Because... Mm-hmm. Wilford wants Curtis and whoever's aiding him to help eliminate three quarters of everyone in the tail of the train to basically save the ecosystem within the train. They're coming to realize there's too many people. They don't have enough resources to take care of everyone who's in there. So he wants 
Chris Evans and everyone working with him to basically rid the train of three quarters of the people towards the back. So um, there's a struggle that ensues. There's plans for explosions and detonations. Um, Chris Evans, uh, I think it's his arm. He loses his arm uh, in a fight to try to help save Timmy, who is one of the children. Um, towards the end, there is an explosion that takes place. Um, and in doing so, the noise from that triggers an avalanche. So the avalanche happens, the train is derailed, and apparently there are only two survivors that we see. There could have been more, but the way the movie ends is Timmy, the boy that um, Chris Evans's character fought to save, and then Yona, another character, emerge from the train wreck to see a polar bear. And that's kind of how the movie ends. Like, like, so live, that, like living out, living out in, the, uh, in the frozen. There was tundra, life. Though. Yeah. Yeah. There was life <clears throat> out there um, outside the train, despite that experiment that went horribly wrong. And it's just one of those movies where it gives you so much to think about. And after the movie's done, and Parasite was the same way. Uh, I think it's a lot to do with his style. After the movie was done, you're almost reflecting on so much that the movie brings up and the movie is kind of talking about. And it's just it's really engaging and it's really, it's just really interesting to think about, but it, it, they also had a TV show. Um, I've never watched it and I will not ever watch it because mm -hmm. the movie was fantastic and I don't want to spoil it. And the photography of that um, movie is just outstanding. Ha having just like one long, uh, centrical sort of like mm -hmm. thing to actually move around a camera and actually have like full shots. And then the one time, like the, the, the train is like going around a corner and both sides can like see each other. You know, the back of the train and the mm -hmm. front of the train, it, it's it's really just phenomenal. I mean, even that thought, the the only remnants of society are are contained in basically a big sardine can, and they've been segregated by who's the haves and who's the have nots. Yeah. And it, it is it's it's a really interesting story. You guys, you guys both definitely I think would enjoy the movie. Um, mm -hmm. I know Bryce probably feels the same. I, yeah, way, I but, do. It, it, it's um, difficult to watch sometimes. Yeah. I mean, like, if if you're not, like, totally prepared for it, you can be like, oh, geez, I'm going to have to take a break. Like, it's it's one of those movies. But, like, um, there's some realizations towards the end when he was talking about meeting with Wilford or everything where uh, some things come to light and it really kind of just crushes everybody's preconceived notions of, as to what they were going to do with this, this like, sort of, like, revolution and everything. And and how do I do this? And should I do this? And stuff like that. It, it's really great. And Ed Harris, like you said, mm. it, he's just, he's so good. He's so calm. He is a great bad yeah, guy. Like, like he's in pajamas eating like a filet mignon in like the front, the front. He's like, this is great, by the way, in case you want to do this. It's fantastic. It's so good. All right. Yeah. So there was, there was Snowpiercer. Um, my last two are more recent. Um, I kind of worked chronologically. I realized uh, through the list when was Snowpiercer out? Twenty twelve. When did Snowpiercer was, come out? I think. Oh, so okay. just over ten years. Now, on to my fourth movie here, directed by the Christopher Nolan, is Inception. Uh, this is one of my favorite movies ever. I started my notes off with dreams inside dreams inside dreams. Um, I feel like Nolan has this foundational formula, and it basically boils down to Michael Caine. And some combination of Killian Murphy, Tom Hardy, and or Joseph Gordon-Levitt with a Hans Zimmer score. And right there, you're better than most 75, 80% of movies. Off to a good start. So, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. You, you yes. really, it's, right. it's hard to go wrong with that, with that, with that <laughs> base formula. Um, this movie also has Leonardo DiCaprio, Ken Watanabe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, as I mentioned, Miriam Cotillard, Elliot Page, Tom Hardy, Killian Murphy, Michael Caine, Tom Berenger. Just not only is Nolan so talented, but you know, he gets this unbelievable cast because who doesn't want to work with, um, with Christopher Nolan, but, but just star studded cast. The premise of the movie is Cobb, who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio is tasked by one of the leaders in the global energy space. And they keep it kind of vague, but is tasked by Ken Watanabe's character to help him use inception to plant the idea, to dissolve his competitor's empire. Um, I got lost in my notes there. Uh, to plant the idea to dissolve his competitor's empire into the mind of his son as his father, who was the CEO and founder, laid on his deathbed. Um, so Cobb and his team work in what's no, what's called extraction in the movie. If you're trying to gather information or secrets or whatever it may be, to go in and do that from people is what they're they're skilled at and what they're typically recruited to do. Now, Inception is something completely different. Inception is known to everyone in the movie um, almost exclusively as a myth. Like, it's a theory, and in theory it can be done, but the odds of being able to do that and plant an idea is much more difficult than just retrieving information because you have to not only plant an idea, it needs to form in the manner in which you want it to form. So things to note, as you get into these dream states, time goes by slower. So what is five minutes on that first dream level is maybe uh, two hours. And the farther you go down, the more and more that time expands. So you could be spending 10 minutes on the third level of that dream state, and it could be three months in the real world. So these are all things that various characters are learning throughout. Um, the cinematography is impeccable, but again, that is uh, kind of a, a thing that Nolan... Um, and his team is is known for in all of his films. It's something he takes very seriously. Uh, the score, again, it's Hans Zimmer, who who is almost always throwing a perfect game. Um, rarely are you ever watching, which I feel like it would also be kind of stupid to be like, Hans Zimmer's really off his game here, as Hans Zimmer's house is just littered with a Award <laughs> for, for best score. It's not, it's um, not his best stuff, you the, know. Yeah, that's when you're okay. that's when you're watching uh, Top Chef and you're like, I can't believe you left that in the oven for two minutes too long, you idiot. <laughs> As I'm eating Kraft mac and cheese. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the visual it's effect, perfection, though. Yeah. Let's be real. That is true. Perfect mixture of the powder and butter and two percent milk. That's all I have in the fridge. Um, the one, like one of the scenes that always stands out for me and I think is so cool is that rotating hallway, the fight scene with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And some mm -hmm. of those henchmen, they built a rotating hallway. That is not just camera trickery. They built a rotating hallway. Joseph Gordon-Levitt and the stuntmen had to train in that hallway to be able to do that. But that is all practical in the sense that they built that hallway um, in a way where they can just get it going left or right or whichever way they want to uh, for those desired effects. But uh, I, that's what I want in a movie. Um visually stunning um the score tells a story on its own if you keep your eyes closed you have a pretty good idea of what's about to happen yeah. mm -hmm. it's either super suspenseful it's sad it's uh, the energy's ramping up whatever it may be um tom hardy i love tom hardy in this movie also he's got a bunch of great lines as eames um 
but I don't really know what's wrong with, I mean, obviously there's, there's no real science behind this. Um, it's not something that you can go order on Amazon, but everything about this movie just works and it works so well. And everybody is working at such a high level that it's, it's tough to be. I, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I hate that movie. <laughs> Fucking hate it. It, it is a it, it is a mind fuck, what? and for somebody with unmedicated ADHD, it's <laughs> it, it all it starts making you dizzy trying to watch it. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm not there's saying nothing, it's not a great movie. I'm saying I hate that movie. There's nothing that that explains Aaron and my relationship than me spending three minutes explaining why I love a movie so much. And his only response is, I hate that movie. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Love it. You know, now that Aaron's completely shit on that we, we, movie, do you want to move on? Or should we? we, we no, we no, see, no, we shit on the movie. Here, was, you know, was, because was, he didn't shit on you. He just said he hated the movie. He wasn't like, you're stupid for liking that movie. So this is, this is a moment for Aaron. You know, we should be, we should be yeah. applauding him. Yeah. yeah, I'm not saying it's not a great movie. I mean, it was You're obviously a great opinion, movie. Andrew. I hated that fucking movie. The the end scene where the top just keeps spinning, I still have have, have fucking anxiety over that. Yeah, that's true. It's <laughs> fucking beautiful. That's fair. And people wonder why this works. It's better than he was with me talking. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's better than when I was talking about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, because holy fuck, that was... That was a different Aaron right there. We're going to need to do an episode just breaking down that conversation. <laughs> yeah, I fuck think. that movie. <laughs> like, I, I wonder I wonder if like that's the only movie that he hates that we're all going to mention, or there's going to be like three or four more, because I think we need that, Aaron. Like, regardless of whether or not you do hate them, I think you should just go ahead <laughs> yeah. and a couple of times be like, too much stupid movie. Too many computers. All this thinking and stuff. Fuck you, Andrew. It's not... Got there weren't enough horses in the desert for me. I hated that film. As a matter of fact, there wasn't any desert at all. It's terrible. There's two. <laughs> you kids and your talkies. Right. Oh, for fuck's sake. In crashing, more like it. So um, my fifth and final movie on my list um, is the most recent of all of them. It's directed by the marvelous Jordan Peele, and it's Nope. Um I wasn't sure if all of his movies technically fell into this category, but Nope was the one I, I went with. Um, and there's really just something special about his mind. I am fascinated by interviews where he, uh, where he's kind of explaining some concepts or giving what he's willing to give about movies and, and his thoughts on maybe the way it ends or what it means or the interpretation. Um, Daniel Kaluuya um, who was also in Get Out, which I just watched Get Out the other night, it, and still still stands um, as great as it was then. But Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer are amazing individually, but also together. They play siblings in the movie, um, and they have this rivalry, but also this chemistry as brother and sister that's very believable. Um, and I think that's important. Um, and if you haven't seen the movie, just the way the dynamic is, and they lose their father so early on in the movie, that that dynamic is kind of one of the linchpins of the entire story. Um, and just the way that those two play off of each other um, is really great. Steven Yoon, uh, who's in there as well, is phenomenal in the role that he has. 
Um, the cinematography, I know I just talked about that with Nolan, but uh, Jordan Peele also has an incredible eye uh, in his uh, cinematography team does as well. Kaluuya's character, who's OJ, um, introduces the idea of a bad miracle uh, towards the beginning of the movie. Um, his father in the movie is killed when uh, basically it starts raining like objects, just random objects. And I think it's either a quarter, it's a coin of some kind, I believe, that ends up um, going through his dad's skull and killing him. So he rushes, him to the ho- he rushes him to the hospital, but it's... It's the idea of a bad miracle. So that, and, and that is kind of something that, that gets hit on also later on. Um, and the theory is that something unbelievable is happening, but that something that's happening is not a good thing. Um, then there's the story, and this is Stephen Yoon's character, who's uh, Jupe in the movie. Um, the story of the TV show Gordy, that he was basically a child actor, um, and Gordy was a chimp that the family had for some reason. That was like the, the premise of the, the multicam live uh, sitcom in front of the live studio audience. Um, and it was an episode where it was supposed to be the chimp's birthday. There were balloons brought on set. And if you're not familiar with what balloons do when they get next to really hot things like a light uh, on set, they explode. That explosion of the balloon happens, sends the chimp into a frenzy. Um, and the chimp murders multiple cast members um and they close on one of the scenes of one of the girls who gets attacked by the chimp with her shoe standing up on the toe so the toe is on the ground and the heel is standing straight up and that's kind of how they close that scene but it comes back to that idea of a bad miracle that shoe they basically kaluya and his sister work with steven yoon's character who owns like a a a cattle ranch of sorts, but it's like a, it's like an amusement park also. Um, and he as the child, the child actor uh, is the face of it and he drives people in. Um, but he takes them into uh, kind of a back room and he has memorabilia from Gordy and he explains this story, tells them about it. Um, but just really, really suspenseful, terrifying. And I mean, the thought of being a child who's a mere few seconds away from being attacked by a rabid chimpanzee is pretty fucking terrifying if you ask me but the way that the the way that this movie is shot there is a spaceship or what you believe to be a spaceship it turns out that is actually the alien being itself it shapes itself like a spaceship and it hides behind a cloud at all times and what you come to find out is this cloud is actually just like basically a way for it to hide it's a it's a way that it cloaks itself and um it i'm i'm doing it i'm doing it a bit of a disservice here because there's so much there and i could spend 40 minutes (laughs) on my own just talking about uh this movie but imagine that oh fuck off Aaron. um if if you have i don't have a tally for that sorry um if you haven't seen it it's phenomenal um angel who's played by i think it's brandon uh Piera or Pereira um, is great and like a comedic element to kind of lighten things up at times. Um, but unbelievably shot film that is beautiful. Interestingly enough, there's a lot of stuff that's done at night. And uh, what I believe Peel said is because it would have been so much more expensive because they were filming out in the desert on a horse ranch, um, that it would have cost so much more money to film at night and light it. 
So they would film, I believe, during the day for the night scenes, and they would artificially darken it. So just something interesting. Oh, wow. Smart. But um, Jordan Peele is is a genius. Yeah. Um, and, and all of his movies, I'm a huge fan of. But He but is a genius, is, but, but also fuck him for my name. That seems like you're harboring some Wrong. arguments there. Yeah. And that was actually, to be fair, that was uh, Keegan Michael Key in that in that uh, sketch. That wasn't him. So. Yeah, but yeah, still fucking both. <laughs> that statement is not endorsed by the. Uh, I haven't seen the, that one of the of the podcast. In case either Key or Peel are watching, yeah. it's just Aaron that doesn't like you. Um, you've never seen that one, Paul? I've not seen that one, but I've seen his other and like. Peel is, yeah, I mean, as a director is marvelous. Like he's the way he shoots is, I mean, it's so original and you know, his stories are just as original too. Like no one's ever done what he's done, which is hard to do nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. And for such a, for such a young uh, creator to just take the movie industry by storm, like he has is there's some amazing talent. Well, just his background beforehand, yeah. like coming from comedy. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think Peele you would have seen him doing that, that sort of thing after Peel. Peel. You're like, whoa, that's Jordan Peele, right? Not at all. Impressive. No. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. Awesome. Well, that well, that's my well, list. Bravo, Andrew. It's uh... fantastic. Thank you. Holy shit! Are we Thank finally you. done? <laughs> Take your irons up again, you old fuck. <laughs> All right. All right. Anyways, now that we covered that, I think Polly's up next. Yeah, I think it is my turn. Um, so mine are all mostly the 90s, except two of them. Um, my latest one is 2005. So it's more the older ones. Um, I haven't kept up on sci-fi as much with as many kids as I have, besides, you know, the Star Wars and stuff. And even then, I haven't had full, full, full mental capacity to endure them while the kids are running around which is fine um but i don't have a particular order for mine either i'll just kind of start where i you know start from uh so the first one is backstory my uh my grandpa loved this book series um and my mom actually got him an original pressing with the uh, signature of the author um for his birthday one year and ever since like i i started watching the british tv series first um which is so great because it goes so much more in depth than the movie does because there's i forget how many books but i think it's like seven of them um but it's hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy um love that is, one. Uh, 2005 uh the director is garth jennings he's british uh he mostly did music videos before this um radiohead vampire weekend beck fat boy slim uh eels wow. Like he did their music videos, um, and this was like his first pretty movie impressive, pretty impressive did, credits, which for, I thought uh, was music crazy. Videos, though I mean, like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I mean, if you're gonna be a music video guy that transfers into movies, those are some great yeah. music videos to work with artists mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Um, Not like Mick G. So the movie starts out, <laughs> Mick G. Like, is that is, is that really the name you're gonna <laughs> oh, use? That, that guy. Yeah, that's what okay. you're going for. Um, so the movie starts out with uh, dolphins saying so long and thanks for all the fish as they jump from the ocean and head off into space because the dolphins are in fact from a different planet entirely. They've just been here getting notes on how Earth goes. Um, so yeah, the dolphins, as we have all expected this entire time, are actually not from this <laughs> Earth. 
and they sing us a little song and just escape <laughs> um, because Earth is getting removed to make way for an intergalactic superhighway, um, which is fantastic. But no one on Earth was given notice except the dolphins, of course. Uh, um, it's a great cast. Uh, the cast is kind of a who's who of British actors, but there's also some, some really great American actors. Uh, Martin Freeman plays Arthur, the main guy. Uh, Sam Rockwell is uh, Zaphoid. He is the uh, intergalactic mayor or uh, president of the galaxy. Uh, Zoe Deschanel from Aaron's favorite TV show, New, New Girl, Girl, is in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Polly. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Oh, wow. Uh, Bill what Nye, which I fucking love Bill Nye so much. Like, <laughs> I'm ignoring it. Away. Um, so yeah, Bill Nye, which is one of my favorite actors of Britain. Uh, Stephen Fry is in there. He's the guide, basically the, you know, narrator of it. Uh, Most Def is in there before he changed his name. I forget now. It's escaping me, but Most Def is in there. He is the... Uh, friend of Arthur that is actually saves Arthur from the planet getting destroyed. Um, and then my favorite of everyone, Alan Rickman plays the robot that has feelings. <laughs> just <laughs> absolutely fantastic. Um, so, you know, it's filled chock full of British humor, which I absolutely love. Like it's just all across the board. The British humor that runs through it is fantastic. Um, there's the probability drive on the spaceship where when you click it, the most improbable thing that could ever happen does happen. Um, so like in one moment, they're trying to escape. They push the button. They all turn into yarn characters and <laughs> just shows them as yarn characters or they turn into a pot of flowers. Like, you know, the most ridiculous things that could ever happen. <laughs> it's just fantastic. Um, but to end it, the, the answer is 42, um, you know, for the answers of the universe, it's 42. Um, I, I would go into more detail on that one, but there's just, there's so much involved. Um, I do love Bill Nye as like the creator of the new planet earth as Arthur is trying to just get back home um, mm -hmm. because that's all he wants. And so he finally, you know, gets to go back to where they're rebuilding earth because it was a mistake that they actually destroyed earth to build this galactic highway. The highway was actually supposed to go over a couple thousand light years and not through earth um so yeah it's just a wonderful film um i love you know graphically fantastic but i i love humor when it comes to sci-fi and that is one of the tops for me when it comes to humor and sci-fi yeah i think what uh, what they do a great job of there is that <clears throat> the plot if you think about it is just a big critique for the commercialization of something it's just another critique of capitalism when you think about it like oh let's just let's just blow earth up because it's in the way of our space highway mm -hmm. like uh oh yeah but yeah that, it's always good when they can throw that in there but no it is uh, i think you you knocked this one out of the park uh, you you hit on all the good stuff so I'll, I'll throw it over to the other guys if they've got anything yeah it was it was just like it was a silly movie it almost reminded me of like idiocracy in, in a way, yeah. the way it was shot and the way, but it was, um, yeah. And then Andrew touched on how it's like, uh, it turns capitalism into sci-fi, how we're just going to blow up everything on the way just to build our space highway. I think so but many yeah, movies, that was a great movie. especially when they're sci-fi, they kind of like, 
mock capitalism's like reasoning for doing anything. Absolutely. And, and like, I mean, like even Star Wars and stuff like that, when people argue rebels and empire and stuff like that, they're often taking the wrong side because they don't understand how capitalism is like destroying everything. So, mm-hmm. well, think about Jurassic Park too. Yep. Like, they're trying to smuggle the embryos out so they can just sell them to someone else for more yeah. money, despite mm-hmm. the fact that, like, you're kind of going to know when dinosaurs exist somewhere other than this island where you created dinosaurs that someone mm-hmm. stole hey, your dinosaurs. Hey, where where, where like, did these come from? Come on now. I mean, <laughs> where should we start our investigation? Right. <laughs> Newman. Right. Newman. Exactly. Newman. See, nobody cares. Uh, so, my. Exactly. Uh, so my next one is from 2000. Uh, this one is sci-fi slash, I would say, horror, um, you know, crazy monster thing. Uh, it's Pitch Black from 2000. Uh, the most low budget of any of them that I'm doing also. Um, it took $23 million to make. And graphically, you wouldn't think that um, as far as, you know, just the spacing of the ship coming in. Um crash landing onto this unknown planet to the alien creatures that only come out at night that kind of look like alien, but not quite look like alien. Like, you know, they can't see if you're standing right in front of them. They have vision on the sides. Um, Just fantastically done for the budget they have and grew a cult following because of it. I'm sorry. Did you say 23 million? Um, So it starts off with, um, yeah, it only took 23 million to make pitch black. How is that even this was pre Fast and the Furious Vin Diesel, so he was a much cheaper ticket yeah. at that time. I'm not Which has like a big thing to do with it. Like um, so, so that, that should cost money, man. Like sets and CGI. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, so the premise is a fugitive, which is Vin Diesel, um, is being transferred on a ship to another planet, like a jail planet, and uh, the ship crash lands when everyone's in. Uh, hypersleep i guess you could call it or whatever it is um and so it gets hit by a bunch of uh not asteroids but tiny rocks and everything like the pilot is completely just destroyed by all these rocks coming into the ship um and so it crash lands and obviously vin diesel gets out before anyone knows what happened um he escapes uh and vin diesel is just terrifying in this film like this is the first real look at vin diesel as as this badass that he becomes in fast and the furious and triple X and all that stuff. Like he's just phenomenal in this as like almost horror film, like scary kind of guy. Um, during production, the studio actually folded that they were recording it for and universal actually came in at the 11th hour and agreed to release it. Um, it was a hail Mary and it predated fast and furious, but led into that relationship with Vin Diesel and universal of fast and the furious. Um, and without Pitch Black, the Fast and the Furious franchise probably would have died because um, he was sitting on the set to do Tokyo Drift, Vin Diesel was, and uh, they leveraged his cameo in Tokyo Drift to be able to continue the Pitch Black, the Riddick series, um, which there's been oh, wow. three and he's wanting to do a fourth. So he was like, all right, I'll, I'll continue Fast and the Furious, but I love this series. Like, I love this character, Riddick. Like, I want to continue doing this character. So unless you agree to let me continue doing this character, no more me and Fast and the Furious is basically what he said. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really cool um, that he basically, and it's been the same director the whole time, which I forgot to mention is David Toy, I think his name is. Um, he's from the U.S. 
Uh, he wrote The Fugitive. Um, well, think about this, Aaron, Obviously, I was going to say, this is kind of like Fugitive in Space. The way this movie begins. Yeah, it was what? Like The Fugitive in Space. It's the prisoner transport that goes awry and crashes. And it ends up... So it's yeah. kind of like... I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the first twenty percent here, and let's just throw it in space with Vin Diesel and aliens, and then we'll pick it up Great. from there. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just gonna say the Fugitive, which Aaron was absolutely phenomenal in. Um, Thank you. Just Thank you, you know, he knocked it out of the park. He played with Tommy that one. Lee. He played Tommy Lee Jones's great grandpa <laughs> in that movie. Did you know? That? Fuck you, exactly. yeah. Like it was a short scene, but Market, he did it perfectly, Market, dude. Um, and then he also wrote Waterworld, which. <laughs> Which Waterworld like is either loved or hated by people, and I absolutely love Waterworld, but I love I'm not Waterworld. Get into Waterworld's that one. fun. It's not Water- great, but it's fun. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but as far as Pitch Black goes, like I love the premise of these creatures only coming out when night falls, and night falls only fall uh, on this planet once every like 16 years or something, um, and then they're obviously like they're they're killed by light and so they basically they find this they go into this cave to try and escape them and they they see light happening and it's all these like bugs or slugs or whatever that glow in the dark so they just start putting them in jars and like the whole scene of them trying to get to the next ship to get off this planet and him just leading the way like vin diesel just being the badass that he is with like one light in front of him everyone's with the lights in the back and he's just chugging along with like the the uh whatever it is like the basically the power to run this ship to get it over there like very suspenseful scene and then like him deciding to either just leave everyone or actually you know once he gets to the ship where he's like all right do i just fucking take off or is there a bit human in me where i'm actually going to save some of these people uh i thought was yeah it was so good and when i watched it in 2000 i think i was like i was like 13 or something like that it was it was great. Like it was terrifying, but also just he was so fucking cool. Like as a thirteen year old, you're like, you scared the shit out of me, but you're a fucking badass. Like with your glossed over eyes where you can mm-hmm. see in the dark and all this shit. Like just insane. And like I do like the Riddick series itself. Um, I think it could have done better. And I know there's a fourth one that he's been trying to put out for for years now that just they haven't gotten the right people for. Like him and the the director are still on board. It's just they haven't quite figured it out yet. So I'm really hoping that comes out. But yeah, that one, Pitch Black is near and dear to me just because like it's such a low budget film, but does not look low budget at all. And mm-hmm. it's just got that cult following, which any movie with cult followings are always normally pretty good. True. Yeah, Very true. And and you've got and you've got rip from rip from Yellowstone in it, so it can't be it's gotta be good. You got a guy in there who's in a who's in a show that has mountains um, and and forests and flatlands in it. So 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 (laughs) it must be Cole Hauser. Yes, it is. Oh, guys, hey, 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 yeah, Cole Hauser's in there, the biggest actor. (laughs) Hi. Oh, there she is. How are you? I don't get internet free. (laughs) (laughs) Fake news, Bryce. But she does have incredible ears, apparently, because she. See, so, so you can imagine what growing up was like. Hi guys. <laughs> Get away with nothing. Bye. This is our first cameo. Probably a on cookie. The yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, that's fantastic. Aaron, is someone is your uh, the is biggest your mom actor in come there down before and bring you applesauce? Fuck you, Andrew. Yes. yes. We're crushing yes. today. We're not even through the second one. We already have four. Oh my god, I love it. 
Oh man. Um, but Keith David was in there. I don't know if you guys, I mean, Bryce, you probably know Keith David, Andrew, um, but he was the, uh, the Muslim, or I think Muslim uh, preacher guy that, you know, was traveling on board, like going to Mecca, like space Mecca. You mean, you mean the, you mean, you mean the black oh, excellence yeah. in everything, right? Oh. Yeah. 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 He was, yeah. Keith he David, was, who's just absolutely everything. He was Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer's father who dies at the beginning of Nope. That is so. Yeah, yeah he's oh. he's oh, really? he's had so many prominent roles where he is like for the longest time I didn't know his yeah. name. I was just like, oh my god, it's the guy I've seen in eight hundred movies, yeah. and he's yeah. all, he was an like, he, he was an Armageddon. He yeah, he was in uh, uh the quick and quick uh was it the quick and the uh, with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio quick and the dead quick and the dead quick and the dead he was in he was in Dead Presidents he was I, in the barbershop he's up, in ATL I, like I just pulled ooh ATL I. I ride or die with ATL. Um, I just pulled up his Absolutely. IMDb, and I think my internet is now going at the same speed as Aaron's <laughs> because it's so long. It, has so much it just keeps going. Um, so yeah, like it was great having him in there too. Um, like definitely the star of the show, besides you know biggest star um, because Vin Diesel wasn't as big yeah. during that time. Um, but yeah, fantastic movie. Uh, so my next one is from 1990. The director is Paul Verhoeven from uh, that. He's Dutch. Uh, he also did RoboCop, Basic Instinct, Showgirls, Starship Troopers and Hollow Man. Um, and this is Total Recall. Uh, yeah. So I right away, like all star um, director that, you know, sci fi, he's perfected. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course, is the main guy. Sharon Stone is in there, which the basic instinct thing works out with that. Um, Rachel Takatan is Arnold's love interest, Melina. Um, let's see. I'm trying to see who else is in there. Michael Ironside, um, who plays Richter, is like one of those guys whose faces, like I've never known his name before. Yeah. I just looked it up. But like you always know him as just like he's a bad guy in most everything. Mm -hmm. Like He's Michael Morse. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, you just, you know the face more than you know who actually is. Well, isn't, isn't that the dude um, who's the blue guy that whistles in the Guardians of the Galaxy? No, 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 no. That's, um... Uh, no. Wow, I can't believe I can't remember his name. Um, that's not him, no. Uh, Michael Morse is, he, he was in uh, The Negotiator. He was, like, the lead, like, uh... uh uh, cop or whatever that wanted to rush uh, Samuel Jackson and the negotiator. He was in um, he was in Long Kiss Goodnight. He was like the main antagonist in that 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 uh, Gina Davis couldn't remember. He was oh yeah. yeah 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 he he was in Top Gun. He was yeah he's he like you can literally like yeah. see him in yeah. almost everything. He's one of those B actors that's just like what? Gee, again again mm -hmm. like every year you see him in like six seven movies. Michael Rooker. Rooker that's yeah Michael, Michael Rooker, Rooker is who was I was thinking of yeah Yondu who's also who's also in a ton of shit. I mean that guy. He's, like ever since cliffhanger yeah, he's, he's been in so much <laughs> um but arnold the uh this is the same year he did kindergarten cop those were the two big movies he did in 1990 were total recall <laughs> with the woman with three boobs and kindergarten cop uh so quite Grooming, the difference there. I um but basically <laughs> he was a republican so that means um, that. So the... <laughs> it's true <laughs> Uh, the year is 2084, and man has colonized Mars. Um, throughout the movie, I I wonder if he's still actually in the dream state that he's in, that they put him in this virtual world of Mars, um, or if 
he's actually experiencing all this stuff um, that's happening. Uh, Rachel Takatan, who plays Arnold's love interest, Melina, was probably one of my first crushes when I watched this movie when I was younger. Like, you know, some about her. I was just like, I like her a lot <laughs> as a kid. Didn't know what it was, but it was definitely a crush. Um, so, so many good scenes in this. Um, one, pulling the tracker through his nose when he gets the call being like, there's a tracker. There's only one way you can get it out. And he just puts that thing up his nose and just, you see the glowing happen and then pull out like for 1990 graphics, like fucking fantastic. Mm. So good. Um, Then there's him in the robotic woman suits where she starts freaking out. Like it freezes up on him and she just keeps saying two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. (laughs) Like how long will you be here? Two weeks. And then they keep asking your questions. She's just like, two weeks it's just like it was like they asked questions that didn't know so it just it was like aaron when we tried to film this episode the first time two weeks fuck you andrew (laughs) ah there it is we got we got a lot of road left and we're already at five we're getting a double digits today wait is is the record still six or is it uh seven seven? it's six six Six. okay cool so okay we're right there nice but yeah but that's going back to because that had to be some sort of CGI. So what you were talking, and I don't mean to inter- interrupt you, Polly, but like when no. the the lady goes nuts and says two weeks, but then when he takes the head off, that had to be CGI, yeah. some of some sort. A lot more of that yeah, was, was practical than you than you may think, and that's why a lot of the movies from the eighties and early nineties look so terrible, is mm-hmm. because they did their best with like the like the little what they had, like the little person who lived. Uh, I, Who's the in his yeah, yeah he's got the, like, the the mind. Yeah, like there's <laughs> there's definitely some moments where you're like, I can tell this movie was made before the CGI uh, <laughs> really took off. But but yeah. It's it's a gem. But yeah, it's it's so good. And then like the ridiculousness of a million year old reactor that aliens left there, um, that you just need to put your hands on that in a certain way. I think it was this way. <laughs> the Spock wave. And then boom. Yeah. And then boom, there's oxygen. No and, Star Trek. You know, everyone can live on Mars. <laughs> but I remember being terrified in, you know, when I first watched it as a very young kid, um, when they got sucked out at the very oh, end yeah. and like they couldn't breathe and all of a sudden their eyes are bulging. Oh, I remember out that everything. part. I was like, oh my God. Like it's like I had nightmares. That scene is long that, too. It's like there's gonna be a moment where I can't breathe, and that's just that scene just kind of keeps yeah. going, and you're like, <laughs> resolution, resolution, please. <laughs> you're like, is this an irrational fear just, I'm going oof. to carry with me for the rest of my life now that I watch this? Yes, movie it is. At age six, <laughs> like in, in Detroit, every time I drive, every time I drove by oh, like man. a stack that was steaming, which is there are tons over in Allen Park and everything. Like, it's gonna happen. My eyes, I can already feel it. This is it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Total Recall. So yeah, that that one's, and I've not seen the new one. Like I kind of refuse to see it. I know it's got some good actors, not, but I was bad. like, no, like I'm leaving Total Recall. Not... I tried it, and I don't think I even finished yeah. it. It's just like, but it's the not first... like you already you already have Total Recall that exists, and when right. you're watching the new one, you're like, just subconsciously, like this isn't the same yep. thing. I know what's gonna happen. Yeah. And like it wasn't right. done bad or shot bad or the sound is know. good and it's a it's like a quality well the <laughs> movie but like it's like you kind of just like redid it with Colin Farrell and it's like Jesus Christ of all people yeah exactly um, so next to another um, oh speaking of um, 
going back to capitalism, like it's funny in that one where they're like staying at the Mars Hilton and there's like all like the Coca-Cola signs and all that stuff where they've totally just, you know, not only colonized Mars, but they've capitalized Mars, like mm-hmm. capitalistic everything Stamped there. The brand mm-hmm. name on everything. And the way they, yeah. And then they cut off air to like the lessers of the people is just their way of getting back at him for running off and can't be able to find him. It's just, the way of this world is very much in that movie as with a lot of the movies that we've chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So this next one's from 1993. Uh, the director is Marco Brambilla from Italy. Uh, probably just butchered his last name, but um, the only other major movie he had was excess baggage, which had um, Alicia Silverstone in it, um, which I also enjoyed because again, another crush from my younger years. <laughs> so it was all about that movie. Um, Demolition Man has, of course, Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes, two of the biggest action stars of the 90s, for sure. Um, Sandra Bullock's in there, as well as Benjamin Bratt and Dennis Leary is in there. Don't forget um, Rob Schneider. Come on. Jack Black is actually. Yeah. <laughs> <And> I was. <laughs> Fuck you, Brad. I got one. <laughs> I feel included. Uh, Jack Black is actually in this movie um, as the Wasteland Scrap Number Two. Jack Black is it's in this. Really? <laughs> Get out. Um, Jesse Ventura is in this. Um, Jesse Ventura is Cryocon Number Six, and uh, Bill Cobbs, which is Zachary Lamb, which is like uh, Sylvester's old buddy from before he was cryo freezed um, to come into the future. Um, but basically, it starts out in dystopian L.A. of 1996. <laughs> the Hollywood sign is aflame. <laughs> and um, right. Sergeant John Spartan. Yeah, John Spartan tries to take down Simon Phoenix, which is Wesley Snipes. And a ton of innocents die. And instead of focusing on the innocents, he's so focused on Wesley Snipes' character, Phoenix, that they actually imprison both of them once he is captured. They're like, you just let all these innocent people die you're going to be cryo-freezed. Um, so they go into the future 36 years into uh, 2032, not too far ahead. And Taco Bell is every restaurant <laughs> that there is. Oh, geez, um, no. Taco Bell has won the franchise Please, wars. No. There is no McDonald's. There's no Burger King. There's no Chick-fil-A. Taco Bell is all there is. <laughs> that does sound like Just a ridiculous. very, I, I would actually like that. Oh my God. Yeah, your, I your bowels. Not. Like I like Taco <laughs> but it's Bell, like, but like it's... for every meal. <laughs> but they have like fine dining Taco Bell. They have fast food Taco Bell. Like there's, there's so many different Taco Bells. It's just it's great. Hey, honey, there's uh, variations. Clear your, clear to all your of it. evening. I got us a reservation at uh, Taco Bell for dinner. When Sandra Bullock gets so happy about that, she's like, um, there's the. <laughs> I know she's like going. You don't know about Taco Bell. Uh, there's the verbal morality statute, which is fantastic because anytime someone cusses, they get the little, you know, uh, citation. What's it called? Just a ticket uh, out of the citation. wall, basically. Yeah, citation. There you go. Yeah. And so it's great when Wesley Snipe, Snipes gets it first because he's like, motherfucker. And he does his whole like <laughs> high pitched thing that he does. And he just like comes out again and then he ends up just shooting the fucking thing because he's like, no. She's like, shut up. <laughs> and then Sylvester, because he doesn't know how to use the three shells to wipe his ass, like just starts cussing at the thing to get all the citations. And he's like, I'll be right back. I'm going to the restroom. <laughs> it's just it's, like there's so much humor in this. And like I said, like prior to starting this, like I love the ones that incorporate humor and sci-fi probably the most out of any kind of sci-fi mm-hmm. films there are. Um, it's it's kind of, you know, nonsensical, like 
brainless like you don't have to think about it but at the same time like makes you think like what if the future was actually like this um so yeah and then there's a lot of talk from sandra bullock about how insecure heterosexual males conversed when they're talking back and forth and cussing and all that stuff which i found hilarious um and the oldies channel which is beautiful is just old commercial jingles so like they're like hey do you you'll know these ones. And it's just like, you know, they're singing the Oscar Meyer song and like all this stuff and like singing them like they're actual tunes, but it's just <laughs> Benjamin Bratt, right? that are like 20 to 30 seconds long. It's just, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Benjamin Bratt and her are just singing it back and forth. Most of the in the back, just like, what the fuck am I doing here? Um, but yeah. And Dennis Leary's mm-hmm. character, he is basically trying to revolt against what is, you know, this new LA that you basically can't do anything um which yeah i mean i would be right there with him probably if it ended up being the way it is in the future where just like nope i can't stand this didn't they call it like wasn't it san angeles didn't like san san francisco or something san San diego and la and los angeles Angeles or something like that yep again the cap the capitalism the the capitalism element is like Mm -hmm. a through line in all of these movies like all through there um and basically so what happened was wesley snipes was brought back to uh to basically kill this guru that is the head of both like the entire city and when he's brought back he's given like every tool possible like he's got all like gun skills martial arts skills like any kind of combat skills he has now got them um they were able to implant them into his head um so sylvester has to be sylvester and try to Take out real, real, real quick, Bali. Um, and so, wait, he, just he was so I don't back to any spoilers. Friendly. He was yeah. brought back by the mayor to kill. I think so. Friendly. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what it was. Dennis, Leary. that's what it was. Yeah, like yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because he was getting a little too close to actually getting people to revolt. Um, but yeah, just a fantastic, fun, you know action packed you know there's gunfights there's martial arts fights there's just that great anything chasing, and everything in there and when then, they when they take the uh the charger up to the the, the the below grounds fantastic it was a gto yeah <laughs> okay sorry gto whatever man no. um, <laughs> but to get stallone and wesley snipes <laughs> to get stallone and wesley snipes at that point like they are both on fire yeah so that was like, yeah, pretty wild. It's it's just crazy that they were able to get those two. Mm-hmm. Um, but my last one, which is probably the one I like the most and the one with the most background of like, how the hell did they get this to happen? Um, is directed by one of my favorite people um, who was born in Medicine Lake, Minnesota, uh, Terry Gilliam from Monty Python fame. Um, he did Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, uh, and of course, animation director of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, The Meaning of Life, co-wrote almost all of Monty Python. Um, just an absolute amazing person. Um, so yeah, 12 Monkeys, 1995. Bruce, Villa- Bruce Willis is a convict in 2035 that gets sent back in time to get information on a man-made virus uh, that wiped out most of the population. Uh, the timing isn't quite precise, though, and sometimes he gets thrown back to a time he's not supposed to, like 1917 in the middle of World War One, in the middle of a bunker, um, where he's there with one of his cohorts. And, like, you know, all of a sudden they're seen in, like, pictures as well um, from World War One. 
Um, but he finally gets sent back to close enough to the right time and gets put into a psych ward because he sounds insane with what he's trying to accomplish. Um, coming from the future, looking for who started this man-made virus to try and fix it. So everything goes back to normal. Um, it's the visuals and cinematography are quintessential Terry Gilliam. Like he is just, he's phenomenal as a director and the composition of the music, like it's that frantic, you know, up and down. Like I forget the name of the uh, composer, but like you hear it and you're just like, this is 12 monkeys. Like you just know this music, like, you know, the frantic violins and just the percussions and everything. Um, it just fits the movie so perfectly. And, uh, so one of the fun facts um, that we took to this is uh, Bruce Willis actually took a pay cut and actually did not get paid until um, the movie was already released. Um, oh, wow. He basically did this whole movie for free um, and took the pay cut because of Terry Gilliam and Brad Pitt wasn't actually like big yet. Like this was before interview with the vampire. This was before a lot of those. So Brad Pitt, they got for a steal as well. And Brad's, uh, you know, Brad was just phenomenal in this and in, in the psych ward, like going crazy. Like, and the, the way that they got Brad to act the way he did, Terry actually took his cigarettes away from him um, oh. to make him just be this frantic little like psychotic person that he was in there. So yeah, like that was all like, you know, he took away his nicotine and was just like, here you go. Like you're going to get this trade. Um, that's yeah that's, mm -hmm. exactly be like i'm taking away your advice ah! right now you're gonna do what i need you to do <laughs> um but there were so many ups and downs like this is another one that almost didn't get fully made because of budgets and everything like that just couldn't get it done for the right um production studio and uh i forget there's so many great actors um madeline stowe plays Catherine. um there's uh, Christopher Plummer, uh, which is another great one. Um, but really, like most of the cast and crew all took pay cuts to work on this film because of Terry, because of the reputation he has. So like if it wasn't for them all taking pay cuts and, you know, doing this for less than they're worth, like this movie probably would have never been made. And I just love that, you know, when they all get behind it for the art of it versus the money of it, like it makes for such a great film. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not your stereotypical sci-fi. Like, there's not, you know, space stuff. There's not, you know, I mean, there is a mind trip with what Bruce Willis is going through. But mm -hmm. most of the movie is set in like one certain time. It's just the fact that he got there from the pat or from the future is what makes it sci-fi. Um, but yeah, it's it's always one that's just been a great movie to me. Um, I know they came out with the TV series. Another thing that I refuse to watch, where I was just like, nope, there's there's one no Twelve chance. Monkeys that is this movie and I'm not going mm -hmm. anywhere near any of that television show. So, so many of those series that are made now, uh, but yeah, are, that is, that sorry. is my, so many of those movies that are made now that have the TV shows no, later, like what, 25, 28 years later. I mean, I think that's why they do it because they're, they're like, Oh, nobody's yeah. seen that original shit. Let's just make this now. Right. Cause we're, cause we're yeah. not going to watch it. Not realizing like there's many of us that are still alive. Yeah. What's going on, Aaron? You all right? I'm good. Okay. Just, just checking on you. Um, but yeah, those were my five. Um, there were definitely some that, you know, like Andrew said, that we had multiples that we had to kind of pick and choose. Um, but those five right there are all movies that I can go back to and watch at any point, um, which is kind of why I picked them. They're just, they're all great films um, for one reason or another. Um, and yeah, like that's, 
that's my five sci-fis. Nice. Beautiful. Yeah, so uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to conclude. This will be part one. And then part two is going to feature Bryce and Aaron. Um, so before we end here, obviously, uh, we want to thank our sponsor, um, R.T. Slaywood. Um, the the novel is The Ballad of Bonna Duke. It is exclusively found on Kindle Vela. It's still in our link tree. Um, I believe he shared with us that um, he saw... Uh, he saw himself shoot up uh, the Kindle Vela rankings, I believe it was, just based on uh, some additional traction. Yeah. So we're hoping some of that had to do with the podcast and super excited that he was seeing that. So anyone that's that's watching who hasn't checked that out yet, go take a look. I really enjoyed what I read so far. Um, yeah, if you're into sci-fi especially. Shoot him up. Yeah, I mean, that's the, it's the perfect time to talk about it as well as, as we're doing our sci-fi movies. Might as well talk about um, his novel there as well. So. No, absolutely. Okay, and well, I think there's a very fitting way that we've determined is is how we need to end the episode oh, yeah. off. So before we can roll the theme music, <laughs> we need something from our our old friend Aaron. Well, as always, fuck you, Andrew. <laughs> 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 <laughs>